0: Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. The show Keys of the Kingdom is a unique show. It's very iconoclastic. We look at a lot of different things that uh, most people are not willing to look at or haven't looked at or will be surprised to hear about. We look at everything from... The biblical text as we have received it down to the ages, as well as the languages that they were written in, as well as the history of those languages and those cultures in which the Bible was written. The reason we do this is to finally understand exactly what the authors were trying to communicate. We think of the Biblical text as divinely inspired because we believe that the men who wrote it were divinely inspired, but we don't believe that all the men who read it or have translated it or have uh, interpreted it have been divinely inspired. And that, of course, is why there are 40,000 Christian denominations today, as well as uh, the Jews who have interpreted the Old Testament. Even the Muslims use the Old Testament and look at those texts as sacred writings. But they're at war with each other. They're battling each other. They're, they're fighting with each other all over the world and all over history. And how do they fight with each other? Well, they most often do it to organize systems, constitutional orders, and governments. These are what the Bible refers to as the world, or at least the translation that we see in the modern English language refers to as the world, with the word cosmos, which comes from the word kamizo, which means to take care of. And that's how governments grow in power, is that they take care of people. Now, they do it in many different ways. One way they take care of people is that they uh, provide protection from other governments that are around that might be attacking them. And those governments were originally formed in what they called city-states. We see the first city-state being formed by uh, Cain and then Lamech and others like Nimrod and, of course, Pharaoh and Caesar and the modern city-states, which we call governments or countries or nations. And those governments have been warring with each other for century after century after century. And, of course, there were wars in heaven, according to what we read in the biblical text. And they were attributed to an individual that was called Satan. That individual, Satan, was making war in heaven. So. That's an interesting idea that most people think of heaven as a gigantic retirement community where we're all in bliss and happy and everybody gets along and you know the Muslims are going to heaven and the uh, and the Jews are going to heaven and the Christians are going to heaven and Mark Twain once mentioned this and said that he was probably going to only be able to find peace in hell uh because all the people going to heaven or thinking they were were at war with each other during his lifetime, fighting each other. Which Of course, they're still at war with each other. In fact, most of the people that you see at war are actually at war with God. They are against God. They claim to be for God, but in reality, they're actually against God. They're fighting against God. They're doing contrary to what God uh, wished for them and wished for mankind. They have abandoned God, and they have gone out of the presence of God. They have created religions to make themselves feel comfortable in this, and that's why there are so many religions, because so many people need this kind of comfort and that kind of comfort, and, and they also need to be promoted in the idea of self-righteousness, that they are the members of the right religion, and everybody else is the members of the wrong religion. And, of course, some people have referred to His Holy Church as a religion, and in the next few shows we're going to even get into uh, concepts uh, such as cults and occults and all these sorts of things but his holy church is a phrase and that phrase is to designate that the church belongs to Christ that it's his that it's holy in the sense of separate and that's all it is is a phrase if it is a corporate body it is corporated under Christ it is his body It belongs to him. It is a unique body established by him some 2,000 years ago in continuation of what he calls the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Because he said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you, talking to the Pharisees, I'm going to give it to another. So what his church was, was the government of his kingdom here on earth. Because one of the... Uh, common themes that we see repeated over and over again in the Old Testament and New Testament is as it is in heaven so it also is on earth. That theme is actually found throughout uh, metaphysical groups, New Agers um, uh, philosophies of Plato and Aristotle uh, the idea of what exists in the spiritual realm of heaven or whatever you want to call it and what exists on earth need to come into conformity. And the reality is there have been many elements of our civilizations over the years that battle against that conformity. They don't want you to come into conformity with the creative force, the creative power, God, Yahweh. They want you to come into uniformity with them. And they want you to bow down to them and be subject to them. And this has been a common theme I'm, a, I'm real big on looking at this day in history. I get that in the email and I look every morning and, and this show will go out to many people for many years pre-recorded on this day, October 20th, 2012. If uh, the world doesn't come to the end uh, during the 12th month of 2012, which has been predicted for some time by many people. And, of course, what world is going to come to an end? You know, we hear people reading in the Bible, talks about the end of the world. Well, which word did they use since they had those five different Greek words all translated into the single English word world? When they say end of the world, do they mean end of the planet? Well, they don't use the word that means planet. They use the word that means age, the end of an age. And the end of an age often means that there is the beginning of another age and they talk about a new heaven and a new earth how new is earth you know i said to somebody just the other day that if it rains in the desert you will have a new earth because the desert won't be the desert anymore it will be something else things will change and of course there has been changes over the history of the earth vast changes you just look outside and you see mountains where there was no mountains at one time you see seas where there used to be dry land. You find uh, ocean crustaceans on the peaks of mountains. So evidently there's been a number of changes throughout the history of the Earth where things changed. And just uh, this morning I got an email that talks about, uh, what was it? Uh, let's see if I can find that. Uh, it was saying that there was some seven or 66 different volcanoes going off at this very time. And that's just the ones that are erupting above the ocean. They're even more erupting beneath the ocean because most of the earth is covered by ocean. And volcanoes are the spewing of magma from deep under the surface of the uh, earth. And then, of course, the surface of the earth is thinner where there's ocean. And uh, so there's at least 66 above that in different stages of eruption. In the last 30 days, there's been over 7,000 earthquakes, and these denote change. And there has been such changes for years and years and years and years. There are active times in the Earth where things shift about, and uh, islands appear, uh, continents uh, begin to form. All these things have gone on in history, and there is a great deal of evidence for what they call catastrophic catastrophic. Geology, which means that there are periods of time where the Earth is extremely active and then it calms down again for centuries. And we have this idea that uh, everything will go on as usual, and it will. Everything will go on as usual, but usual is a relative term. There was a tidal wave that occurred on the shores of Oregon just before Lewis and Clark came to the Pacific Coast that had wiped out huge areas of forest, just knocked down trees and ripped them out of the ground, and right now there are subdivisions in those areas, huge uh, neighborhoods with thousands, even uh, possibly millions of people living within the floodplains of those tidal waves, and those tidal waves could occur again. Do we live in fear? No. But we have to live in reality and realize that sometimes shift happens. Things change. But some things don't change. God doesn't change. God is the same today as he was yesterday. And our relationship with him can only change through repentance, through conformity to his ways. Are we willing to do that? What does that look like? How does that operate in the real world, in Christ's world? because he has an organized system, even a constitutional order or system of government, and it operates different than the governments of the world. If we look at the governments of the world and the history for this day, we will see all kinds of things that uh, took place. In 1803, the U.S. Senate ratified the Louisiana Purchase. Well, they purchased this huge area, they called the Louisiana Purchase, went all the way across America, And there were all kinds of people that already lived on that land. How did they purchase that land? They didn't talk to those people. They talked to another government and purchased the land. What they did is purchased the interest of another government in that land, which was limited, very limited, because they hadn't been everywhere. They hadn't talked to everybody who already lived on the land, some of them living on the land for thousands of years. So they didn't actually purchase the land. They purchased their interest in it. And the reality is since those 1803, much of the land has been purchased from the people who thought they owned it or lived on it. And we discussed this in the book Covenants of the Gods in the chapter on law versus legal, explaining that you don't own your land anymore and the government owns it and the government taxes you or charges you rent on it. And that's the way it is in the United States and most countries throughout the world. It wasn't the way it was in Israel, when Israel was a nation under God. It did become that way by the time of Christ. And the people were paying property tax again because they didn't actually own their land again. And they didn't even own their own labor. And they had fallen back into the bondage of Egypt, which was a bondage to a certain type of government. That type of government held all the wealth or the right to the wealth that was in the nation in the form of gold and silver. It also held the title to land and the title to your labor. And you had to work without pay for at least 20% of every year. One fifth of every year of the labor that you produced had to go to that government. Now, since the days of Egypt, we were set free, we've gone back into bondage, we were set free again by Christ, and we've gone back into bondage. And we are now in that state, throughout the world, everyone is back in that bondage of Egypt, something the Bible tells us never to go back to. In 1818, we see Great Britain and the United States signed a diplomatic convention which established the boundaries between the United States and British Canada along the 49th parallel. Just yesterday, I saw a video of a man who traveled between Canada and the United States, crossed what they call the frontier, the boundary. He says there is no such boundary. He uses his own ID and he crossed there with no difficulty whatsoever during the time that, you know, there's all these heavy restrictions. And he simply says that uh, we don't need that. Of course, we're told every day that we do need that. Why do they have the right to formulate those boundaries? Well, in the Constitution, the United States was given the obligation of protecting us from foreign invasion, so they're to guard our boundaries. But that doesn't have anything to do with you coming and going. You should be able to go in and out the gates without asking permission. You should be a free individual who has that right. You don't anymore. And how did you get to that point? In 19, or excuse me, 1827, we see the Battle of Narvagi- uh, Narvi- I can't even say it, Navarino, uh, off the coast of Greece, which ended uh, in the uh, absolute destruction of the Egyptian and Turkish fleets by the British, the French, and the Russian fleets. Uh, these were governments warring with each other. When I hear these stories in history, I wonder, how many men died during these conflicts? How many men are killed in these battles, in these wars, in these uh, fights between governments who can't seem to get along? Well, of course, there are evil governments in the world that are going about conquering who they will we see that in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. There were five kings. They had gotten together, and they had formed this massive army, and they had evidently learned how to move about with that massive army and were going about conquering one city-state after another, much like Alexander the Great had done. They, uh, they conquered the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they took prisoners, and they took a spoil and they were headed back home with all the stuff that they took, including Lot, which was a big mistake because there was this guy, Abraham, who was operating a different kind of government, a different type of system, social welfare system, uh, interactive system with society. And it was based on these free will altars, which we explain in the book Thy Kingdom Comes as well as in articles at hisholychurch.org. And most people are completely unaware of what Abraham was actually doing. Abraham's influence reached all around the world, and today he is really the founder, or at least the uh, so-called founder, of many, many of the religions, far more than you realize. But what he taught has actually been twisted to be something else. He was actually telling people how to govern themselves as a free society under the auspices of God the Father, as a righteous people, and when they somebody captured his nephew, he gathered overnight an army sufficient to absolutely end this reign of terror by these five uh, kings who were going about conquering one city-state after another. And when he had freed the people of that city-state, he then said that uh, they could all go free. And, you know, some of this is in Apocrypha, but it's, it's all supported in the biblical text. And when the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, the head leader who evidently had uh, fled or hid somewhere when the, his city was conquered, came out, he told Abraham that he could have all the spoils, the stuff, which of course he had a right to anyway, because he had defeated that army, but they, that Sodom wanted the people back, because the people was the valuable asset of that society, that people belonged to that government, and by getting the people back, he could rebuild the wealth of his city because it's people who are the real treasure of any government, even though you wouldn't know that by the way they often treat the people. But Abraham would have nothing to do with that. He said, I'm not going to keep one single buckle from these spoils. I don't want to touch any of it. He was going to give it all back, but who did he give it back to? Did he give it back to the king, or did he give it back to the people? And he even gave the people back their freedom. This is what Moses was doing. This is what Jesus Christ was doing. He would not. This is what even uh, Gideon was doing. When they, you hear these phrases, "I and my sons will not rule over you." They're showing you that there is a nature to a government whereby you will not be ruled over by other men. But you have to be someone who would govern themselves based on the precepts and morality of Christ, which means that you can't covet your neighbor's goods. You have to love your neighbor, actually actively do things, cross the street to help him, Uh, organize yourselves in a way that no one is left behind that you take care of everybody. Can you imagine what it was like when Moses left Egypt with thousands of people and they had to move slow enough that everybody could keep up and everybody had to strive to keep up so that they didn't go so slow that they could get nowhere? They had to work together. I point out that the reason they all had these shafars was that's how you call for assistance or aid if somebody attacked you. And this was a society based on faith, hope and charity. You you tie to your Levite minister eventually when they set up the Levite ministries, they already had the tens, hundreds, and thousands really, but they organized themselves with these men who were willing to come out first to be this ecclesia in the wilderness, this church in the wilderness, and they organized themselves so that those men did not rule over the people, they were only tied to according to their service, that's what it says in the Bible. Yes, it would come to about 10% of what you earn to support these men who were the government. They were health, educational, welfare. They were the center of your connection between you and your local community and the whole nation. Tell 10 men. The whole nation would know the next day if you told the right 10 men because each of them would tell somebody else. A system used by early America at the time of Paul Revere. Paul Revere got lost when he was going out warning his community. Uh, he had to evade uh, uh, British troops and never got to deliver the message. But fortunately, there were other men out there and through the network, everybody was notified and, and the information got to where it was supposed to be. This was a form of government that dates back to the earliest times in history it is actually one of the most common forms of government this networking government where you pick leaders because of their moral character on a local level and they pick the connection with others not rulers there's a difference between leaders and rulers leaders rule by example not by exercising authority and of course christ said We were not to be like the governments of other nations who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. So Jesus is talking about a form of government based on faith, hope, and charity, perfect law of liberty that sets men free, exactly what Abraham was doing, exactly what Moses was doing, exactly what you see the prophets repeating over and over again, But that's not what we see going on in nations today. Even nations that call themselves Christian nations, they are not setting people free. As a matter of fact, they are bringing people into bondage left and right. And greater and greater bondage, where in Egypt you only had to pay 20% of what you earned to the government, and they would take care of your social welfare in reality, today, most people have to pay far more than that. And they don't own their property. They don't own their labor. They don't own their, uh, even the money in their own pocket, which most of which has no value. <laughs> so we've, we've strayed from the ways of God. We've done it on a regular basis. And what we're going to talk about is war that is actually taking place right now in your hearts and your minds and in the world today that is a duplicate of the war of Satan in heaven. And where that war was won, we need to win the war today in the hearts and minds of those people who will repent and turn back to the ways of Christ and Christ.
1: fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. LibertyRadioLive.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States in 1963.
2: The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are as a people, inherently and historically, opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no secret is revealed. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Solon decreed a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. Confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, the president today.
2: You were both in skull and bones, the secret society. It's so sacred we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? It's so sick that we can't talk about it. What does that mean for America? I've got a vision for what I want to do for the country. See, I know exactly where I want to leave. It's so sick we can't
1: talk about it. What is that? Mean? Hi, Nicholas here. I used to lug those big jugs to the market to fill with water from those coin operated filter machines. 25 cents a gallon or 5 gallons for a buck. I used to. Then I got the big Berkey. Now I saved my back and hundreds of dollars too. I was paying $600 for the same 3,000 gallons of water that a pair of black Berkey filters will provide from my own tap for only $99. This means that your Berkey water system will entirely pay for itself with only 1,500 gallons of use. And then, you will still have 1,500 gallons left before you need to replace the filters. Do the math. Stop throwing your money away on bottled water and filter dispensers that may or may not be delivering, as promised. For a limited time, First Amendment Radio is offering 10% off on the most popular Berkey water systems. Visit the shopping page at firstamendmentradio.com or call us at 559-781-3773 for more information. Leave your name and address and we'll send you this special offer. Do it now. First Amendment Radio is an authorized distributor of Berkey products.
0: back the keys of the kingdom we're still talking about the kingdom of god and we're going to talk about the a a warrior against god that warrior against god is often referred to as satan if we look at that word in the ancient text we see that satan means adversary one who withstands Uh, It talks about a superhuman adversary in in part of the definition. But basically, it's a word that means adversary, and we see it meaning that even in the Greek text where it is defined as an adversary. And so Satan is that which opposes. uh, Opposes what? Opposes God. And so we see the word Satan showing up in the... The Chronicles text, uh, First Chronicles 21, uh, the very first verse, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. So the adversary stood up, it says, uh, stood against and provoked. Uh, the word provoked there is normally uh, translated persuaded or moved. David to number Israel. And, of course, what he actually was doing was setting up a draft. Ended up that thousands of men uh, died opposing this draft system that David was setting up. And uh, David eventually repented and admitted that he had sinned against God and man by setting up a draft. You see, there was rules back in Deuteronomy for the government. If men decided they wanted to have a king, And if they decided they wanted to have a king, they had to follow and write down these rules, and those rules didn't allow him to have a standing army. And by having a draft, he could force men into that army and force them to serve according to uh, his own desires. And, And all this is explained in great detail as to what would happen when they had this central ruler, and that even electing a central ruler, the voice of the people, if you read in Samuel 8, he describes what will happen, that he will make his instruments of war, he will take your sons and daughters, he will um, make your sons run before his chariots, put them in harm's way. And all that has taken place in almost every single government throughout the world, especially the powerful ones, the ones that have more and more power show more and more of that corruption where they uh, take your sons and they put them out there in harm's way, often for their own profit and the profit of those that they put in power over the people. And that's why it was always considered a rejection of God to form any kind of government where men would have such power. Early America didn't have a draft. They didn't have a draft until the Civil War, and then that was implemented by Abraham Lincoln, And there was a great deal of resistance even then, and of course thousands upon thousands died in that. Now it is right that men should serve their nation, the people in their communities, but it is not good that they give one man the power to decide whether they're going to war or not. And of course, originally in America, the Constitution provided that one man couldn't make that decision. It was to be made by Congress, but that seems to have been swept away but even the idea that Congress had the power to decide whether or not they were going to go to war, that that was something that they should not have been given except for those, uh, well actually they shouldn't have been given that at all. I even go that far. If you read the book, Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution, also available free online on our website, you will see that there were some grievous errors in the formulation of the Constitution. This was debated at the time by people who were uh, well-respected, famous men in in history, and we go through and we list and we show some of those things. You can read the anti-federalist papers that talk about some of these very same warnings. Unfortunately, we have stopped studying these things in our schools and the people are being graduated from colleges that have no real knowledge of the dangers that were incorporated in the Constitution, and very few Christians have any understanding that of the five basic precepts that we were told to write down in a Constitution if we ever elected somebody who could exercise authority over us, a king, president, prime minister, it doesn't really matter, that it had five things that we were to incorporate in that writing to protect our freedom under God. Only one of them was put in the Constitution of the United States. The other four were completely left out. And that one that was put in there was that he could not be a foreigner. And evidently that's not important anymore. So <laughs> uh, the fact is there's some serious problems with the Constitution. We have a lot of programs on that, and we'll talk about that at another time. But we're talking specifically here today uh, for the next half hour anyway about this superhuman adversary called Satan. And there's been a recent article floating around on our network, The Living Network, if you want to be a part of The Living Network, you have to go to org and join it. But uh, it was one saying, is Satan really this uh, supernatural creature? And I've known people who've written books years ago on this subject and I've I've exhausted looked at it and of course they have some elements of truth in it. The fact is Satan is an adversary and that adversary may be a spiritual creature but it also may be physically represented in the hearts and minds of men dwelling on the earth today. They are servants of Satan. When we see this meeting of Jesus Christ up on the mountain with uh, uh, Satan, and he says, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Satan was offering him all the kingdoms of the world. Well, that meant that the governments of the world, the leaders of those governments, were under the authority of Satan. How could that be, that they were under the authority of Satan. How could that be that they were uh, uh, being this uh, uh, servant of Satan? Uh, Could that be that our governments today are also servants of Satan? Could it be that our governments today are also under his authority? Well, of course, if... God said that if you elect a leader, in Samuel, he says that if you elect this leader who can exercise authority one over the other, who is this ruler of the people, this centralized authority, that that was a rejection of God. That would be like Cain going out of the presence of God and starting his own city-state, where the people were subjects in that city-state. And so that's actually what uh, has taken place in the world today, and it's taken place at such a great extreme, and never before in history that we know of, anyway, in our recorded history, has so much of the world been under that exact same type of government, where the government can be literally the adversary of God. Now, of course, if you believe that all God wants you to do is go to church on Sunday or Sabbath and... uh, sing praises and wave your hands in the air, and that is the totality of the faith in Christ that was talked about in the early Gospels, then I guess what you see today works for you. But if Jesus actually was talking about behaving in a certain way, following a certain way, acting in a certain way, doing in a certain way, then... Your present-day churches and, uh, and services are not what Christ was talking about when he was establishing his church. The same rituals and ceremonies that we see in the church established by Christ are much different than what we see going on today. And so we're going to look at this idea of Satan and see if we can't uh, get a better understanding of what the church should actually be doing. We see the conversations with uh, Jesus and Satan tempting him to turn stones into bread, and uh, that really is symbolic metaphor. Now, he may have actually done that. I'm not arguing that point. What I'm saying is that is a symbolic metaphor. We are supposed to be living stones. Can Christ turn us into bread for him, to serve him? This idea of bread, the show bread and and uh, the uh, Eucharist bread, this is always represented, bread has always represented this labor of man. We are the bread that Beelzebub wishes to consume. And... Jesus would not turn the stones of his church, the altar of his church, into something that was just there to support him. He wanted those altars for the purposes that those altars were originally established. His church was originally established. is to become servants of one another. Love one another as I have loved you and to love God above all else. What does that mean to love God? To love his ways, to love what he says to do, to make him the decider of good and evil in your life. And this is done by divine revelation in the hearts and minds of each individual because he wants to write his laws upon your hearts and upon your minds so that you will be his people. If that's not what's going on, That's not where your church is leading you. If it's saying, oh, no, you don't want to be listening to that inner spirit in your heart and your mind, you only want to be listening to us, then that's a damnable heresy because that's not where the church should be leading you. It should be leading you to listen to God in your heart and your mind. Now, we have things like the biblical text to kind of be a checklist to see, are we actually following God? Are we actually doing what he says? Or have we gone back into the bondage of Egypt? Have we gone back into the bondage of the world? Have we been entangled again in the bondage, in the elements of the world? Now, if you go to hisholychurch.org and you look up some of those words like elements on the uh, outline page, you'll see articles that will explain what I'm talking about. But the fact is, we have strayed from the ways of Christ. We have gone away from that. We are no longer doers of the word. We are hearers only. We have a form of godliness in our churches, but we are not doing what Christ said. And we have actually begun to serve Satan, the adversary of God. The Satan is the head of the government that wage war on the ways of Christ. They are the adversary, not... it's not always cut and dry. You know, we're not going to say, okay, this government's for God and this government's not. The fact is, is the way in which you organize yourself, govern yourself, it's either according to the ways of Christ, according to the ways of God the Father, according to the ways of Abraham and Moses, because these were all in agreement, or they're according to the ways of Satan, the adversary of God. And you can tell that by the way in which things are going down in whatever government you're a part of. And you have to make a choice. Now, I'm not saying to violate laws or break laws. I'm saying stop violating the laws of God. Start turning around and going the other way. This is what repentance is about. And so we're going to get a better and better look at this, and we're going to actually get into the metaphysical reasons why. But it's going to take more than one show to cover this kind of ground. So we have, I have pages and pages of notes here to help me uh, get through this, and they're constantly changing according to what God is telling me to put in the notes. But we're going to take a look at a lot of this in a series of programs that are going to be coming out over the next few weeks or uh, maybe even months before we get all the way through this. And then once we get through, because we deal with an infinite university, we can start all over again a, a infinite universe. Uh, we can start all over again and do everything and look at everything again with slightly different perspective. But it all has to come out the same. It has to be in uniformity with the word, with the ways of Christ, the ways of the Father. In Luke 10:18, it says, "And." He said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falls from the heaven. In chapter 11, uh, verse 18, we see, If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because he say, uh, I cast out devils through Beelzebub. Now, actually, it is possible that Satan will pull back his minions, the spiritual Satan, will pull back its minions to to make you think that uh, you know that you've had power over him to delude you into a sense of false security. This is common military tactics uh, to pull back and give the, the your opposing force a feeling of success, and then you lay a trap for them. So we should have to expect that Satan would do the same. We also, the minions of Satan, which are the neighbors next door, will do the same as well. And when I say neighbors next door, in other words, Satan has many people working for him. The spiritual Satan is a principle. It is a way. It is contrary to the ways of Christ. It is in uniformity with the ways of Nimrod, the ways of Cain, the ways of the governor of Sodom that in a time of affluence he did not strengthen the poor, he weakened the people because weak people are easier to control. He did this by creating a socialist state. Uh, socialist states always lead to communist states, communist states always have led to totalitarian dictatorships. Totalitarian dictatorships have always led to a mass extinction of large segments of society so you see a pattern there in history and we see that same pattern developing today worldwide worldwide this pattern is developing so we can see that you don't have to count the earthquakes you don't have to count the volcanoes to know that trouble is brewing on planet earth so we need to understand this problem and turn things around. Now, we can't turn the rest of the world around unless we become dictators. So what we can do is turn around ourselves. And when you turn around yourself, you will find that going the other way is going to have some company. Now, there's a picture up on my wall. It's been there for uh, decades now. And uh, my grandson, (laughs) who's uh, uh, not a little kid anymore, once looked up there and saw this little picture. It's a picture of thousands of sheep walking towards this cliff. Thousands of them are falling over the edge of the cliff. And one sheep out there in the middle of them is going the other way saying, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, because he didn't want to go over the cliff. And the reality is, in that picture, he's the lone sheep. But in truth, there are many people who want to go the other way, but they just don't know. They haven't been taught. They haven't been hearing the gospel. And the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, is there is another way to go, another way to govern yourselves, another way to organize yourselves in a system that is based on the perfect law of liberty. Now, it's not instantaneous. It's not like going to McDonald's where you can just say, you know, I want this, this, and this, and you drive up to the window and it's ready. Uh, you can't do that. You have to turn around, and turning around for some of you is going to take a bigger arc than for others. And then you have to actually start going the other way. And that other way is returning to the Father, because you're all prodigal sons. You've all been deceived. You've all gone the wrong way, and now we have to turn around. So this idea of Satan, is it just a spiritual creature Uh, Because it's very clear that in many places in the Bible that they're not necessarily talking about the uh, spiritual demon himself, but they're talking about the precept, this adversarial relationship against God. And men can have that adversarial relationship against God. They can pick up that character of God. We see... In this article, it says, however, the concept of Satan was an angel that fell from his place in heaven can be proven false simply by the absence of facts to support it. Now, that's what, this is in the final conclusion of the article that was floating around. That's absurd. You cannot prove that Satan doesn't exist because of the absence of proof in a single book. And the fact is, the absence of that proof is not really there. He only took a few of the uh, uh, verses. I mean, I could go through hundreds of verses that talk about Satan. And yes, some of them are referring to the principles and precepts of the adversary. But some of them are certainly referring to someone specific. He doesn't even go into those verses. He just skips over them like they don't exist, and then he refers to the absence of facts to support it. Uh, you cannot call it proof or proven false simply because that you say there's an absence of evidence. That doesn't prove it. Even if there was an absence of evidence, that doesn't prove that it's false because you can't prove that negative uh, concept by simply leaving off the information that would prove it. And besides that, you don't really need the proof because the point that I would like to make is that adversary, that spirit of the adversary is not simply in Satan himself, but it's in us. One of the things that he talked about in his article uh, was uh, the fact that this uh, uh, spiritual Satan was supposedly blamed for all the evil in the world. Well, that's ridiculous. That that too is absurd. Because, and although many try to do that, the fact you know the devil made me do it kind of approach, which is a, a old comedy routine from way back in the 60s or 70s. The devil didn't make you do it. You chose to do it. We chose to go the wrong way. We choose to go the wrong way today, and that's what repentance is all about, is turning around and going the right way. So we become uh, advocates for the devil when we go the wrong way, When when we do not govern ourselves according to the ways of Christ, when we seek to have someone exercise authority and force our neighbor to contribute to our welfare. We are tyrants. We are citizens of Cain's city-state. No matter what you call your government, you are forcing your neighbors to do what you want them to do because you have decided the good and evil of it. That is not the perfect law of liberty. And that is where you have been seduced away from the ways of Christ. And you can go to church, and you can sing, and you can do all you want, but you cannot be that socialist forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare and be following Christ at the same time. Because Christ would not do that. But you are doing that. And you need to turn around from that. And you need to go the other way. And we're going to get into a lot of reasons why you should go the other way, what that other way looks like, how that other way actually functions as a real government in real time, And how that real government and way of living will actually begin to bring a spiritual reality that you will need to be an overcomer. Because most people do not want to go the way of righteousness. Most people have become selfish. They have become addicted to selfishness like a drug. They don't even have it in their conscience. And we'll get into ideas such as collective consciousness and collective unconsciousness and why these things exist and and why we are so subject today, why we can be so deluded. But we are told that there would be a strong delusion. And the strong delusion is that you, you believe that you're actually a Christian And yet you're actually going the absolute opposite way that Christ said. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to explain that. And we're going to tell you how the real gospel of the kingdom operates when we return to the kingdom.
3: You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Now
2: listen to me. The Bible says, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. I want you to know that a corporation is Caesar's.
1: Government Takeover of the Church. This DVD is the most powerful tool we have for waking up those asleep in the pews. The scripture calls for his people to come out of her. The corporate church is the apostate church, the whore that rides the beast. Make copies and give them away to your corporate church friends and loved ones. The truth will make them free. They will watch the DVD, Government Takeover of the Church. Who will tell them, if not you? Get this DVD for a donation of $25 from LibertyRadioLive.com. Order online today or call
2: 559-781-3773.
0: Lots of different titles we give him, but basically he's the adversary of God. But the fact is, the adversary of God can also appear as an angel of light. He can seem very good, benevolent, kind, a benefactor. The difference between God of heaven and the God's many of the world that are talked about in the Bible is the God of heaven operates by the perfect law of liberty. He actually gives you a choice. One of the great delusions is when we make that choice, we think we make that choice daily. Most, And this is why you find certain scientists and certain even philosophers saying that they don't believe that we actually have a choice. They believe that our choices are the product of our environment, of what we are taught, of our genetic code, of all kinds of different things, influence our choice. And, of course, all those things do influence our choice. But there is a choice that we make deep down in the spirit of our being, in the, in the bottom recesses of our existence, where we choose to humbly follow the Creator or deny Him. And, of course, this is the story of Adam and Eve. They, they turned their back on obeying God. They said, they were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm always amazed. Everybody always talks about an apple tree. It doesn't mention apple tree anywhere. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was in this thing they called the Garden of Eden, this paradise. And There was this tree there, and we simply weren't to eat of that tree. It didn't say that the tree couldn't be there or that the tree didn't have some purpose. But it's saying we couldn't eat of that tree. It was not to be a source of sustenance. We had the tree of life for the source of our sustenance. And we could eat of all the other trees. But the tree of knowledge of good and evil, where we decide for ourselves what is right and wrong. We, me, I, ego, decides. The vain personality of man decides what is good and evil. Now, I pointed out in in a recent discussion concerning Genesis where it talks about this darkness on the face of the deep. And the word deep there could come from several different words in the Hebrew. And as those of you who are familiar with our talks on on the Hebrew language will know that there are certain words that uh, almost most all Hebrew words are three letters long. And you can add another letter to it to slightly change the meaning. You can take a letter away and it becomes another word uh, or another idea. You can add a letter so that now it's a four-letter word. And, of course, in the Genesis 1-2, it says, The earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters." Well, it talks about the darkness upon the face of the deep, and that word deep is a four-letter word. It's uh, Tav, He, Vav, mem, And some scholars, or at least this is what you'll find in some concordances, uh, talk about that being from a word, uh, Tav, He, Vav. but most concordances will tell you that it's from the word hey vav mem, which means a noise, uh, means or ring or make. But that doesn't make any sense in my opinion. So I believe that it's from tav, hey, uh, vav, and they add the mem, and mem always has to do with flowing or uh, you know a a pattern of consistency. You know. Uh, you know, like a, a, a rambunctious child is always in motion and he's always a rambunctious uh, child, and so it could be that kind of flowing, always this energy flowing out of him. And anyway, this the, the original word there actually means vain. So when they're talking about this, uh, uh, this darkness in the vanity, in the face or before vanity, uh, is that what they're talking about? where man is just consistently vain. Of course, we see the flood and we see those. Why was that? It's because of the vanity of mankind again, where they were constantly going the wrong way. And of course, now today, are we going the wrong way too? Are we headed to some kind of proverbial wrath of God destruction because we're going the wrong way? Well, actually, I would say yes, but You shouldn't believe me. (laughs) What's God telling you in your heart? What way are you going? If we are to be like Christ, if Christ is to live in us, we have to be like Christ. He's not going to live in us if we are the antithesis of Christ. And what did Christ come to do? He came to serve. Are we serving one another? Are we abandoning the ways of Christ and following the ways of Satan where we become an adversary to Christ because we are exercising authority over our neighbor and forcing our neighbors. And, of course, that's exactly what we're doing. And so what spirit is living in us? Is it the spirit of Christ, which is the spirit of sacrifice and giving and and allowing you to find your own way and seek out God and to have his laws written on your hearts and your minds? Or are we like saints, wanting to organize everybody and force everybody into a single line and everybody has to contribute at a certain time and do things in a certain way. Uh, Which way are we going? Are we going the ways of Christ or the ways of the adversary of Christ? And, of course, as a society, it's very easy to see that we are going the way of forcing our neighbor to contribute to our welfare, forcing our neighbor into military actions that they don't want to do Whether you're drafting them economically, we are not being honest. I mean, you can go uh, layer after layer in society. The problems are not the leaders or even the rulers that you elect, but the fact that you go and elect them. When they elected Saul, that was called a rejection of God, but God didn't say they're rejecting me at this time. He's saying they're rejecting me as they have done from the beginning when I took them out of Egypt. And, of course, we're all back in Egypt again, so uh, we've all turned around and gone whoring after these ways that have brought us back into bondage again. And people are trying to find freedom by electing a different Caesar. And the fact is what they need to do is elect to go the ways of Christ. And they, they haven't been doing that. And a different spirit is dwelling in the people today now you want to get that right spirit out how do we do that it says uh, here but if we are to read the Bible and take it serious taking Christ seriously the Bible, the Old Testament even seriously, we know that the foundation of our knowing faith is not the Bible itself but divine revelation the Bible tells us it's not by the knowledge of men. It's not by flesh and blood. And reading the Bible, you read that with your flesh and blood. It's your eyes and your head that you're reading that with, the brain that is in your uh, between your ears that you're reading that with, unless you have divine revelation. And that's what Christ said. Blessed are you Peter or Simon because you are this rock. What is that rock that you know this not because flesh and blood, but my Father has revealed it. Exactly what the Old Testament said, that I shall write my laws upon their hearts and their minds, and they shall be to me a people, and I shall be to them a God. It's this personal divine revelation. Now it needs to line up with the Bible, but the Word of God isn't alive unless it lives in you. And God is guiding you, you personally, not me and I tell you what to do, but you personally. And the fact is, God cannot enter into your heart unless you start conforming to his ways. And the fact is, you cannot conform to his ways of your own accord. You can't save yourself. He has to enter into you, and you have to let him. And that's the choice you make. You're either letting him in or blocking him out. Adam hid from God when he sinned. When he went against God and tried to decide for himself what was good and evil, and ate of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then he realized his error and did not want to admit it, but hid from that. And then he was separated from God. As I've said many times before, the angel wasn't to keep you out of the garden. It was to guide you back, and it's guiding you back like a beacon of light. But you don't want to see the light. You flee the light. You're still hiding from the truth of the fact that you're a sinner. Admit that. When people begin to take steps towards the kingdom, and many of the people who think they're they're saved have taken some of those initial steps, Uh, don't be fooled to think that you are saved just because you had one religious experience where you said you accepted Jesus Christ. You have to continue, and Christ talks about that. Strive. That doesn't just do something one time and that's the end of it. Strive. Seek. These are words that Christ used. Persevere unto the end. So, yes, okay, you've, you've turned around, but if you turn around and don't head in the right direction, then your salvation is not complete. You have to head in the right direction. So you realize you're not the source of all wisdom and righteousness you realize that Christ is this Christ consciousness, if you want to use those kinds of words, but be careful of that, is the way you need to follow. But you actually need to follow it. I mean, the prodigal son didn't just decide to go home. He actually started going home. So you need to do the same thing. And that inner awakening of that inner faith, that... Divine revelation that you are not God, that there is a God, and you need to obey Him as you would obey a godly or goodly Father, that is the rock, that knowing. Now, now that you've had that little knowing, continue in that way. Uh, His writing of laws upon your hearts and minds and must if we are to be his people. This is why so little is told to us about uh, the Diabolus, the devil, the adversary, the false accuser. That is because we are not the uh, general of God's army. God is the general of his army. We are his enlisted men. In order to be his enlisted men, we need to start listening to what he is telling us in our hearts and minds and acting upon what we are learning. Now, remember the Roman centurion who said, I, too, am a man of authority, and Jesus was amazed at this man? Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, is a kingdom of authority. It simply does not force its soldiers to do what they should do. It is not an exercising authority like you see in modern world armies. It is a band of brothers who have a common father who don't need to be ordered to do this or that, but they are shown that they should do this and they are anxious to do it. Different kind of army. And that is the army you want to belong to. That is the soldiers that you want to be. Are you seeking to be his soldier? Are you seeking to go his way? Are you seeking to be a part of his government? Or are you trying to get Caesar organized to do what you want him to do? You see, you're outnumbered. democracies it's like uh, what was the, in the, the uh, Lord of the Rings. You know, you had your seven and, and others, but the real minions <laughs> were all the evil guys. If it was a democracy, we all have to go and follow you know, the evil lords of that world, that organized system and constitutional order and government that was having all these soldiers following his command. That's not what we want. We want to be following, you know, what is your heart telling you? You want to be a part of the army of God. And that in order to be a part of that army, you have to start following in his ways. You need to start exercising your skills as a soldier of God. Because right now, your adversary is this world, the flesh and the devil, This these systems of the world that want to drag you and your children and your children's children off to serve them. And that is, controlled by this adversary of God that thinks they have a better way. You need to follow His way and go this other way of Christ. We do not see the word devil until the New Testament in, in the biblical text. but uh, and, and that is this spiritual devil that uh, ends up uh, actually... Uh, even um, in possession of people inside them so that it brings about diseases, it brings about uh, actions and torments and the reality is that's what we see a lot today. We don't recognize it as that, we recognize it as other things but there's an actual spiritual element to all this, a cosmic uh, quantum uh, effect of going over to this other way of forcing your neighbors, of being selfish. Just being selfish will bring you into authority under that satanic influence, whether you want to think of it as a spiritual demon or just the physical satanic influence. He wants you to hate. He wants you to be angry. He wants you to judge. He wants you to want to control others. He wants you to fight against him, resist him. Because he will get stronger that way, and you will get weaker. You are to resist evil, but only in a certain way. Not according to his way, but according to Christ's way. And that's we're going to need to explore this step by step. In the old, we see the devils from uh, a word normally translated, goat. Uh, and another from one that's uh, said to mean demon but has the original meaning of destroyer or violent. And remember when it says until John the Baptist the, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence and, and control. What he was talking about, this kingdom of heaven, and we've talked about that before, the kingdom of, of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same uh, concepts and uh, they come only one who mentions kingdom of heaven is in in Matthew. You don't see that phrase anywhere else in the Gospels or even in the Epistles. But this kingdom of heaven has to do with this Bacilius Oranus, which was this world order is actually what they're talking about. And there are two world orders that are fighting and violently uh, contending with one another today. At times, it gets violent. It, uh, violence doesn't stem from the kingdom of heaven preached by Christ. The violence stems from uh, the destroyer, the violent, the evil one who wants to force everybody to line up according to his ways, just like in the movie and <laughs> the book of uh, uh, the Lord of the Rings. He gives some power. There's great metaphors in that that story, He gives some power to these kings, these rings that give them some power, and they become addicted to that power, but then he controls. You know, one ring controls them all, and that's exactly what the world is doing is that we give power to our leaders, and they become addicted to that power, want more power. But somebody else is orchestrating all this so that they become a one-world government. At least that's what they want to do. But there's this other government element called the Kingdom of God, the Kingdom of Heaven, preached by uh, John the Baptist in Christ. You see, this is one of the big revelations that I discovered uh, or was shown me and I've shared with others is that Herod was baptizing people into the Kingdom of Heaven. And John was baptizing people into the Kingdom of Heaven. They were both baptizing people. But one had a system of forced contributions once you signed up and guaranteed benefits once you signed up. The guarantee, though, could change at a moment's notice because it was controlled by a central authority. And they would just simply say, well, we're not going to give that benefit anymore. And the other system was operating by charity. You have two coats, and your neighbor has none, share. But the choice was in your hand. Why is the choice in your hand? Because in that personal sacrifice, you get closer to the character of Christ. That's what the sacrifice and the altars were all about. It was about drawing near to the ways of God. Because unless you are giving up life, and that was what your sacrifice was, was giving up a portion of your life for the good of others, for the welfare of others, then you become more like Christ or at least you have the opportunity of opening the doors of your heart so that Christ can dwell in you. Now that doesn't mean everybody who gives is going to be like Christ because there is a false giving too that weakens the poor and we don't want to be that kind of giving either. There is a prideful giving we don't want to be that kind of giving either but giving as Christ gave. Uh, is the kind of giving that we want to be producing in our life and we cannot do that without Christ but if we attempt to do that we may come face to face with other hidden secrets in our own hearts and there's a great effort in a lot of people to find hidden knowledge and that's what we're revealing to you is hidden knowledge but the real hidden knowledge that you need to discover is what you're hiding from in your hearts and your mind your own selfishness, your own judgmental nature, your own angry nature, and your anger towards God. You can't be angry unless you're angry at God. Once you're not angry at God anymore, nobody can even make you angry. They can't make you angry because they can't make you judgmental. But people will try, and in that process, you'll come face to face with those corners of your own holy temple. You're the temple of the living spirit of God. And in order to clean out those corners, to get all the elements of your own house in order, you have to live life. And life will bring you face to face. Like I say, if a man thinks he is wise, let him marry. He'll discover that he wasn't so smart after all. <laughs> because God made woman to show you and that's a good thing, if you are willing to see it. And if you think you're patient, let let you have children. <laughs> because your children will test your patience and see what metal you're made out of. And that's a good thing. And that's why it's, it's right that man not be alone. The natural state of man is to be married. And that's why all the apostles were married. <laughs> it's because that's the natural state of man, and they learn from that, and that's why your ministers should be ministers who are married, because you come face-to-face with the reality and the truth and the lie that dwells in you, and you can clean up your act in this process through repentance, because you admit, I can't fix it. Only God can fix it. In the New Testament, the word devil is diabolus meaning false accuser, which would be an adversary. Uh, Deamonos Zomaya um, is translated possessed with the devils from the word uh, "demon." In Luke 8 verse 30, Jesus uh, said, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. This was a man who was in the graveyards who was possessed of the devil. And Christ cast out those demons. And we see these references to a real spiritual demon, devil, living inside of a person. But the fact is, many of the devils that we deal with today is not a matter of demons that have entered into you and made you evil, but the fact that men have chosen to be evil they chosen to exercise authority. they chosen to go out of the presence of God. And the spirit in them is the spirit of the devil. And, of course, uh, we can get into the metaphysical of this, and we will later, uh, but we don't want to dwell on that too much because then people start creating religions and they start getting uh, all philosophical and they miss the very simple basicness of the gospel which is to love God, the ways of God, which is the ways of setting men free and righteousness, and to love one another as he loved them, not weakening them. I mean, Jesus rebuked the apostles. Get you behind me, Satan. It wasn't all lovey-dovey. He scolded them time and time again. You don't understand. He tells them right out. He's hard on them at times, but he did it out of love, tough love, good love. Uh, The word legion, when he says I am legion, it's from the Latin word, which means a body of soldiers. You see, that war is going on right now, and and the devil doesn't want... You know, you go to foreign countries, and you see demonic possession all the time. The fact is, we can show you demonic possession here in the world today, (laughs) in the United States. It's real, but it's very clever. It doesn't want to set off the alarm bells. That might all of a sudden realize that something's going on, but it is going on right before you. I mean, some of the elected officials that you 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 uh, uh, elect are demonic creatures. that's real now you know which ones I'm not telling you it wouldn't do any good if I told you anyway. It, you need to see in your own heart. Why are they going this way? They have accepted a certain way of thinking that is absolutely insane. It's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely devilish. And they're getting elected because there's this collective unconsciousness. And we'll show you more how that works later. Uh, Today, most view Satan as this great evil being, as this one article stated who is responsible for everything that goes sour. That may never change and maybe that is okay. What is more is it may never be proven wrong. Now, I'm quoting from this article that we talked about in the previous show. Uh, I do not believe that he is responsible. This devil is responsible for everything that goes sour. I believe we are responsible. We were given dominion. We have followed after his ways because his spirit is more compatible with our spirit. We want to exercise authority. We want to believe that we are God. The great revelations of my own life have come when I admitted I couldn't figure it out, when I stopped eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and just said, you have to show me. I can't figure it out. That is a good place, and I've run across this. In individual after individual who have woken up suddenly began to see what they could not see from years of studying they could not see and then finally they admitted they couldn't figure it out and boom, suddenly they began to see because they approached life from the point of view of the Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, not Our Father who art in Rome, who art in Washington, D.C., who art in uh, Babylon, It was our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come when thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is a very critical concept and we'll talk more about that. On earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? You wouldn't believe that philosopher after philosopher has said that for century upon century in different ways but exactly the same idea. Like I said, we'll talk more about that when we Thank okay. you.
1: Fight the fight. We are here to equip you because you love the truth. Liberty Radio Live.com. What year is it? The year of the Lord God the Pope? 2012 according to the Vatican's Gregorian calendar? Or 5940 since creation according to the Bible? Did you know that the Creator put a clear chronology? from the creation in his word? It is widely accepted that the millennial reign of Christ will be the Sabbath or seventh millennium from the creation. If this thesis holds true, then this clear chronology becomes very important. Is the seventh millennium imminent? Will there be a rapturous date? Or is it about 60 years off? See the clear evidence for yourself in the booklet, What Year Is It? We will send you the Greatest Prophecy DVD, the booklet, What Year Is It?, and a copy of Richard Bennett's groundbreaking work, The Inquisition, for a mere $5 shipping and handling cost. Any donation above that amount is appreciated. Send your $5 cash to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, T-U-L-A-R-E, Tulare Avenue in Tulare, California, 93274. Again, send your cash support donation to First Amendment Radio, 139 East Tulare Avenue, Tulare, T-U-L-A-R-E, California, 93274. Or see the shopping page at firstamendmentradio.com to send a check or money order. We are grateful to the Almighty for your support. The Greatest Prophecy DVD Hi, Nicholas here. I used to lug those big jugs to the market to fill with water from those coin-operated filter machines. 25 cents a gallon or 5 gallons for a buck. I used to. Then I got the big Berkey. Now i save saved my back and hundreds of dollars too. I was paying $600 for the same 3,000 gallons of water that a pair of black Berkey filters will provide from my own tap for only $99. This means that your Berkey water system will entirely pay for itself with only 1,500 gallons of And then, you will still have 1,500 gallons left before you need to replace the filters. Do the math. Stop throwing your money away on bottled water and filter dispensers that may or may not be delivering, as promised. For a limited time, First Amendment Radio is offering 10% off on the most popular Berkey water systems. Visit the shopping page at firstamendmentradio.com or call us at 559-781-3773 for more information. Leave your name and address and we'll send you this special offer. Do it now. First Amendment Radio is an authorized distributor of Berkey products.
0: Welcome back. Uh, we're going to be talking about this in really a lot of depth uh, here. It, this this will make a one of the longest series that we've put together. And you just have to be patient because there are a lot of people that haven't got a clue where we're coming from or where we're going. And so we have to be very careful about this. And we're going to enter into what a, I, I call campfire talk. And it's usually because of the fact that we're going to talk about controversial things. And as soon as you mention one thing, people's brain, kind of like a hockey puck, goes zooming off in a particular direction. And we don't want your brain zooming around in different directions. We want you to be listening to God the Father, to that divine spark, that divine revelation. But we're talking about intellectual things. And that's messing around up there in the tree of knowledge. We don't want this knowledge to become a source. We're just shaking the tree so that you can see what's in it, not so that it becomes a source, a guide to you. Knowledge should not be the guide. It's that divine revelation of God writing on your heart and your mind. But you need to find, especially the ministers, need to find your way around that tree so that you know, oh, that's the tree of knowledge. I'm not going to pick from that. I'm not going to use that as a source, but I'm going to follow this other thing, this still, small voice that God gives me and guides me with. And that's a, that's a big difference. And so, you know, I write here, we must be very careful Uh, in inventing and holding up ideas about what is said in the Bible. It is not given to private interpretation. That means it's not given to my interpretation or theologian's interpretation or anything else. You need to be guided by God, by the tree of life, directly. Now, hold these things up, but you keep them separate from that still small voice, that quiet place in your heart that guides you. Now, you, you, like I say, the Bible is giving us certain guidelines and perceptions of understanding that is very important to be a checklist to say, well, oh my gosh, uh, you know, I mean, you, you can't even hardly imagine how they got to the point where they thought it was okay to put these massive armies into the battlefield to kill off thousands, even millions of people in the Crusades, and somehow they say that this is forgot. That God wants us to do this. That they're so unChrist-like, but yet they did it. Uh, the Inquisitions, killing millions and millions of people, because they didn't see things their way. That's certainly a product of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and not the knowledge of God. So anyway, we have to be very careful that we don't start falling into that trap and creating a religious inventory of ideas that we have to accept. We're going to explore these mostly to release you from the bondage of ideas, which is the ultimate idolatry, where you worship the idea, my philosophy, my eschatology, which are all the result of private interpretations, instead of being the kind of person Christ said to be which is someone who is seeking the truth questioning all things all the time and that's what we need to be doing but questioning them from that spirit of righteousness not self-righteousness but the righteousness of Christ in that divine revelation knowing because God reveals it to us now how do we know God is revealed to us again we can go back to the checklist which is in the Bible You know, are you keeping the ten commandments And most Christians today do not keep the Ten Commandments as a matter of policy. They do covet their neighbor's goods to the agency of government. But they also do a lot of other things that are in violation of that Ten Checklist of of, uh, Commandments, as we call them, or guidelines, whatever you want to call it. Christ said, do you want eternal life? keep the commandments and I hear preachers today say oh we have that was Old Testament no that's New Testament that's Christ saying it he wasn't deceiving us if we're not keeping the Ten Commandments chances are we haven't accepted Christ we've accepted some artificial idolatry of Christ some false Christ and we aren't saved but you know again how do you know well, that's back to faith. Then, what is that faith? That's the faith of in the Father who is writing upon your hearts and your mind. But there is a spiritual power that comes with that. This power of healing, power of um, where evil flees before you. And we'll we'll get into some of that. But anyway. So we have to be very careful when we talk about these things that we don't start creating eschatologies. And we're just talking about this around the campfire at Keys of the Kingdom. And we are exploring these ideas, not to be carried away by them, but to examine them so, so, because some of us have already been carried away by them. And we need to expose them so that we can set them down and put our hand to Christ's plow instead of the plow of modern religion. If we hold up our opinion to get men to believe based on that opinion and not upon their own revelation, then we have entered into the realm of idolatry. We should not worship our opinions or anybody else's, especially mine. Our opinion should never be the foundation of our faith or anyone's else's. I used to always tell my kids, you have an opinion, I have an opinion. But God's opinion is reality. And that's what we need to be finding out, is what is God's opinion. And we can use the Bible to kind of help us along that way, but if we aren't making, uh, that, if that search never makes us uncomfortable, then we're probably not making any progress. No pain, no gain. So we have to look at all things anew, and that's what we're going to be doing here. Uh, now we may have an opinion. I have an opinion. I have an opinion. I believe everything in the universe has a corresponding spiritual existence. But now I stated that, what is what is that spiritual existence? What does that look like? How does that operate? What What kind of spiritual existence are we talking about here? What does it mean, spiritual existence? Genesis one, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Isn't that phrase, heaven and earth, what we found in the, the Our Father? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These two Realms, heaven and earth, coming into conjunction with each other. I believe that evil is the absence of good, just as darkness is the absence of light. Neither Satan nor Lucifer is the name of the devil. These are what we may call them, but I don't know that he was given that name. I mean, does he wear a carry ID and it says Satan on it? If Satan means adversary that's not important anyway maybe he does go by that name maybe he goes by the name of Beelzebub and someone there was a preacher <laughs> speaking and he says we don't really know what the devil's name is and uh, and I says uh, what his last name is that's what he said and I said well it's Bub <laughs> and he looked at me and I said you know Beelzebub <laughs> so Anyway, the point is, without getting too uh, comical about this, you know what we call him doesn't necessarily make it his name. He could have all kinds of names, just like God goes by many titles. These are titles. He's the adversary. He's the light bringer. Those are words describing the spirit of evil. Are there evil spirits? You betcha. Who are they? Are they those who do not let the light in? I would think so. Are they those who do not want to see by the light? They only want to see what they want to see. Well, how many of us are like that? They hide from the light. Isn't that what Adam was doing? Isn't that the sin of mankind that we hide We hid ourselves when we did wrong. We didn't want to fess up. We didn't want to see the error of our ways. What happens when you have the knowledge of your own sin in your mind and you don't want to look at it? You know what happens? You create an unconscious part of your mind, a part of your mind that you do not go, you do not look at. You create shadows in your mind gray areas in your mind where you do not want to look at that memory that thought many of the evil spirits live in the bodies of people who live down the street from you some of those people are evil themselves their spirit is evil itself they choose not to see the light and in some of them occasionally other evil spirits may live Now, this gets into, you know, campfire talk again. Uh, A lot of these things I talk about with the brethren, but talking about it on the radio gets people all going off in the wrong direction because they have all these preconceived notions. But the fact is, is if you have dark spots in your mind that are still operating, still mental capabilities, and you won't go and look at them, they can develop an identity of their own, whether that's from an external spirit or from catchwords. You know, where people say a certain word and you get an emotional reaction out of them. Just say the word, and you can get an emotional reaction. Show them a picture. You know, that's you know, with the rock shot test. You know, where they they show them the ink blots, and ideas pop into your head. Where are they coming from? They're coming from that subconscious area that you don't want to go in that you don't want to look at. Now, there is a place in your brain that is the subconscious that can operate almost out of habit, breathing and things like that. You don't have to think it all out. You know, And somebody throws a ball up in the air, huge amounts of algebra and geometry go on in your brain to calculate where to put that glove to catch that ball. You calculate it from the crack of the bat till that ball ends up in your glove you know where you got to put that glove in this little tiny half square foot little area, quarter square foot little area to catch that ball. And you start running to this place in space that that ball is going to be a few seconds later and you catch it. That Most of the calculations goes on in your subconscious mind which is a lot wider than you can imagine. But If there are actions and reactions and hatreds and judgments hiding in there also, all kinds of stuff can go on in there. Many of the evil spirits live in the bodies of the people who live down the street from you. It isn't Satan. It is an adversary, but it is still living there. Is there an evil spirit that could be identified as Satan or the adversary? You betcha. Could we call him the devil? Sure. It's a free country. and call him anything you want. Is he responsible for what has gone sour in the world today? I believe he's an element of that responsibility. But I believe we are responsible for a lot of the things that have gone sour in the world today. That's just the way it is. We, we cannot negate our responsibility in all this. I believe that the evil one is not one, but many, even legion, and they have a commonality in them, in their nature, and this collects them together in the collective consciousness of evil, and we'll talk more about that later. We're going to review all this with a great deal more detail, but I'm just kind of running through this. In Mark 5, 9 we see, and he asked him. What is the name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And that's, that's the truth. If there's a collective consciousness, there's a collective unconsciousness. If there's a collective good gathered together in righteousness, there's a collective evil gathered together in an unrighteous state. And I say an unrighteous state because unrighteousness is simply the absence of righteousness, just like evil is the absence of good, and darkness is the absence of light, an important perspective that is repeated over and over again in what we're going to be talking about. I think that this evil has a head, and that head is the head of a militant force, a force that strives to gain control in the world and dominion in the world. I think he can bear a great light and appear to be righteous. Depending on your point of view. And I believe we have a choice as to whose army we want to be a part of. I believe the evil one is one chord short of a symphony. He rules over all those who are like him in that missing chord of creation. In other words, the devil is the evilest creature on the earth that we want to call him Satan. The evilest creature in our universe, we want to call him Satan, is much like God, but he's the adversary of God because he is absent in an essential characteristic of God, and I'm calling that a chord, a sound, uh, and it makes him out of harmony because he doesn't have that chord in his being. He will not let it in. He is blind to it. He hates it. He repels it. He, he hides from it as Adam hid in the garden. That cord is known and is needed to sing the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses Another whole Show what that is. But that's what the 144 have to learn to sing. Because it is the power you have against evil. If that cord is in you, Evil does not have power over you. And that cord was in Christ. But it's not in most Christians today or most people calling themselves Christians because Christ is not really in them. And that's why the world has gone sour and getting sour by the minute. I believe that if you do not learn that song that the devil can bite your head off. It can destroy you. It can manipulate you. You need to learn that chord. And that chord is found in righteousness. I do not believe that you can learn that chord of that song by foisting your ideas, your ideology derived from flesh and blood, private interpretation of the Bible on others. We have no need of an inquisition. We have no need of a crusade to force people to to believe in what we believe. Our beliefs do not require that they believe them. But again, this is this is getting into the campfire area. But we need to understand that this is the real battle before us. Is can we let God into our hearts? Are we willing to turn around and let Him into our hearts? Now you know, I talk about this campfire talk and I said that we were going to get into this in a deeper way and and we will, we'll actually be talking about everything from photons to DNA strands to string theory (laughs) and all these things but we're going to constantly bring them back to the simplicity of the gospel and show you how this compatibility actually works and, uh, You know, we're not going to try to get you too lost in the technicalities of it, but those who want to do more studying on these things, you can realize that what's going on in modern science today with things like the quantum theory is, you know, if, if you were to show many of the experiments, I mean, the idea that the moon is going around the Earth because of an invisible force called gravity that is holding it there like it's tied with a string or a gigantic rope to the planet Earth. And there's this invisible thing called gravity holding it there, and it's actually spinning around, and it wants to spin off into the universe, but it's staying there, rotating around us as we are tied by an invisible string around the sun or to the sun and ro- rotating around it. This this would almost be magical in the minds of people, and it was magical in the minds of people when people started postulating these ideas. Then you would cons- be considered a, a mentor of witchcraft, and could be even burned at the stake for su- suggesting such an absurd idea of invisible forces holding the planet. Well, everybody knows God is holding it there, but how does he hold it there? He holds it there with something we call gravity, which actually follows certain laws and behaviors, which we are struggling to find out exactly how it works because the theories of gravity are constantly being overthrown and how they work. But what else today would we consider to be witchcraft or uh, Metaphysical. We talk about supernatural and I used the word supranatural yesterday in an email. Supranatural. It's it is in our nature to do all these things you shall do and greater things than these you should also do. If you're not doing them, you must be missing something, because he said you should do these things. And we are missing something, and that's why we're not doing. It. We can't say silver and gold have I none. Arise and walk. The church doesn't say that anymore because the modern churches have got all kinds of money. Well, most of them, anyway. But they aren't doing what Christ said to do. And we need to turn around and start doing that. And then something will take place where we will have the powers that Christ said we would have a need of, And there's a reason for it. And we're going to talk about a lot of the little things that show us how this all works, but the critical thing is that's all knowledge. Don't eat of that. You need to eat of the tree of life. And How do you eat of the tree of life? You have to give up your life so that you have life more abundant. You have to take the sacrificial service stance of Christ in your life to others. If you don't do that, this knowledge will actually undermine your faith. Now, if we go back to Genesis, we read in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It says in the next verse, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Moved upon the face of the waters. We talk about sea raging in the Bible, that's a metaphor for people, nations, rising up against nations. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Now. You know, if you study in quantum mechanics and, and, and some of these other things about frequencies of individuals that when somebody is thinking hateful thoughts, their frequency lowers. And they're actually able to measure this now. But when they think loving thoughts, their frequency is higher. The question really comes is, what is love? You know, and what what is this higher frequency? Is it still in accordance is it in harmony, or is it just a higher frequency? And why is the frequency lowered with hate? You know, people use bad language, and uh, they use cuss words, and it actually lowers their frequency when they use those, those words. They shouldn't be using those words. It draws you into a lower state. Now, what is really going on? How can that possibly be? Be that its actually measurable and science is now able to measure, it. and this is one of the things that they're discovering, is that there is a quantum effect in your thinking. We, we've known for quite some time that the attitude of an individual, their, their joy, their love for others, keeps them healthy. And when they, they have this other oh, uh, malevolent attitude, they can actually become sick. But anyway, we're going to have to explore all these things in the future on other shows. Uh, and we'll do that as time goes on. And we will get deeper and deeper to our understanding. So Till then, may peace be upon your house and may God be you.